I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Well, I'm going to tell you about a secret cabal conspiracy. But don't worry. It's a good secret cabal. It's high noon. For Friday, February 5th, on Saturday, February 6th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator, or join the discussion at t.me slash be reasonable discussion. You can also follow me on Gab at I'm your moderator. So it would have been the 16th. But instead, it's the 17th full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is absolutely overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the country's worst families and the father of one of the most despicable humans in our entire society. So you did it, commies. Kudos. You showed us all how moral you are. Now, I apologize for not getting the podcast out on Friday, February 6, 2021. But I had a very busy and tiring morning, and I did not get a chance to make my way through the long Time Magazine article, and that's what I wanted to talk about. So here we are on Saturday. Now I've read it. I took my notes. I did the thinking, and here we go. So if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, Time Magazine released an article titled The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. The writer is Molly Ball. Now, one interesting thing that I can't totally explain or understand is that the tab heading, what you see on, you know, if you view this article in your history or the tab on your browser, you know, if you're on a a desktop at least, I don't know if it does it on mobile, but... It says the secret bipartisan campaign that saved the 2020 election. And I'm not sure which one of those is a creepier title. Like secret bipartisanship is not a good thing. Bipartisanship that is good is widely shared. They tell everybody about it. Look, it's Republicans and Democrats working together. It's dogs and cats living together. It's a great bipartisan initiative that we have going on here. But a secret bipartisan 
initiative, it doesn't quite have the same we're doing a good thing ring to it. Anyway, the article. I'm going to start at the beginning. I'm going to go through with my comments. I'm going to read you a bunch of passages and we'll talk about them. But mostly I'm going to talk about them and you will either listen or turn the podcast off. It's your life. Now, the insanity begins right at the first sentence. She writes, a weird thing happened right after the November 3rd election. Nothing. The nation was braced for chaos. Liberal groups had vowed to take to the streets, planning hundreds of protests across the country. Right-wing militias were girding for battle. Not true. In a poll before Election Day, 75% of Americans voiced concern about violence. Because you told them that would happen. Instead, an eerie quiet descended. As President Trump refused to concede, the response was not mass action, but crickets. Okay, first off, Hillary Clinton was on national television in an interview, I think with Jennifer Palmieri, I think is her name, saying that under no circumstances should Joe Biden concede, under no circumstances. But this is all about how Trump refused to concede and that that was putting the entire nation, in fact, the entire idea of democracy under threat. The response was not mass action, but crickets. When media organizations called the race for Joe Biden on November 7th, jubilation broke out instead as people thronged cities across the U.S. to celebrate the democratic process that resulted in Trump's ouster. Well, okay. <laughs> That's one way to describe it. Continuing. A second odd thing happened amid Trump's attempts to reverse the result. Corporate America turned on him. Hundreds of major business leaders, many of whom had backed Trump's candidacy and supported his policies, called on him to concede. To the president, something felt amiss. It was all very, very strange, Trump said on December 2nd. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint the winner, even while many key states were still being counted. In a way, Trump was right. Well, yeah, no shit. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Okay, so curtailing the protests, I'm, and coordinating the resistance, by the way, Jesus, this language is so strange, but curtailed the protests. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes that curtailed the protests. Now, I think that the protests that they're referring to are on the left because they're going to talk about it a little bit later. It's so weird, though, that they're talking about protests and curtailing resistance to people asking for audits, which is what the Trump side asked for since the beginning. I said it 
for the first time on November 4th. I said, this result is complete bullshit and we should get full forensic audits of all the votes all across the country, make sure that we have rooted out fraud, and then I'll accept the answer regardless. Instead, what happened was that there were next to no audits, virtually no recounts of any substance. On the Trump side, the efforts were stymied at every step by Democratic lawyers, by Democratic secretaries of state and Brad Raffensperger, who's just a Romney. The courts, local officials, city officials, county officials, state officials. The effort was all to shut down any questioning of the vote. It wasn't to shut down violent protests and it wasn't to shut down the threats posed to democracy. It was to shut down transparency and accountability. Pretending otherwise is just bizarro world stuff. Continuing on, and I'm skipping parts obviously, so this isn't gonna be like a, a perfect narrative of the article. You want the whole article? Hey, read it yourself. The handshake between business and labor was just one component of a vast cross-partisan campaign to protect the election, an extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to winning the vote, but to ensuring it would be free and fair, credible and uncorrupted. For more than a year, a loosely organized coalition of operatives scrambled to shore up America's institutions as they came under simultaneous attack from a remorseless pandemic and an autocratically inclined president. First off, the pandemic in actuality did not present any problem for voting. Those problems, like many of the problems of the pandemic and many of the responses to the problems of the pandemic were entirely made up out of nothing. And the justification was only used to support political goals they already had. As for autocratically inclined president, Donald Trump followed the constitution. Joe Biden in 16 days has already signed 42 executive actions. That's autocratically inclined. To be sure that we're all still on the same planet, how's about a definition of autocratic? Autocratic, demanding that people obey completely without asking or caring about anyone else's opinions. That's the Cambridge Dictionary. Here's how Wikipedia defines autocracy. Autocracy is a system of government in which supreme power over a state is concentrated in the hands of one person whose decisions are subject to neither external legal restraints nor regularized mechanisms of popular control. So Donald Trump followed the constitution. Was he subject 
to external legal restraints? Yes, at every single turn. In fact, he was subject to external extra legal restraints as well, as the Democrats continually harassed him with impeachments, the Mueller probe, other investigations. I mean, just investigations the whole time. The attorney general in the Southern District of New York, they went to the mats to make sure that they could use every restraint possible against Donald Trump. And what about supreme power concentrated in the hands of one person? Did Donald Trump have that at any point? Any point ever? No. If Republicans went along with Donald Trump, by the way, as you can see, the idea that Republicans had just pledged fealty to Donald Trump and would do whatever they wanted is pure fantasy. In fact, they, more than anyone, the Republicans who wanted Trump out, are responsible for the situation that we're in now because they could have easily brought all of the election fraud and everything else that was going on that is completely unethical, immoral, illegal, They could have brought all that out. They chose not to. So Donald Trump certainly didn't have one man authority over the government. Again, that's a fantasy. Was he constrained by regularized mechanisms of popular control? Yes, he absolutely was. Who wasn't? Well, Joe Biden. He wasn't even constrained by the fact that people didn't vote for him. Nor was he constrained by the fact that he didn't bother campaigning for president. Or, of course, the facts that I always mention in the beginning, like that he's half dead, demented, degenerate, and compromised by China. So none of that mattered, but Donald Trump is an autocrat. I guess he can just say anything now. Though much of this activity took place on the left, it was separate from the Biden campaign and crossed ideological lines. Oh, yes, the Lincoln Project. With crucial contributions by nonpartisan and conservative actors. Again, Romney's, the Lincoln Project creeps. That's who they're talking about. Not actual conservatives, not people who were on Trump's side. Now, I should have said this at the beginning, but you actually should read this article before listening to the podcast so that you form your own opinions of it without uh, allowing me to bias those opinions first. But read it and then listen to this or just listen to it. Like I said, it's your life. Back to the article. The scenario the shadow campaigners were desperate to stop was not a Trump victory. It was an election so calamitous that no result could be discerned at all, a failure of the central act of democratic self-governance that has been a hallmark of America since its founding. Okay, so shadow campaigners were desperate to stop the calamity, but 
Their goal was not to stop the Trump victory. And why is that? They just assumed that Trump would lose? There's no way that's true. That doesn't, I imagine, make sense to anyone to believe that. So all the work that was put into the 2020 election, according to this article, was not focused on winning the election. It was focused on a calamitous election where everything went wrong, right? And this is a success on their part because by the end of this all, Joe Biden got fake inaugurated. So this article describing the shadow campaign that was a great success was a great success Not because Joe Biden won, because their goal was never to stop Trump's victory, but because the election didn't become a calamity. Okay, but the election did become a calamity. In fact, this election was the biggest calamity in the history of elections. What are they saying? Like, this article is filled with this stuff, and I'll, I'll give you a bunch more of it. But I don't know how someone can write these sentences. I mean, it's almost, it's it's like the kind of lie that is so close to being honest. Like all the premises, it's like she's seeing the same things that normal people are seeing and drawing all the wrong conclusions, which would actually, assuming that she has a normal adult brain and who knows, Being wrong all the time with a normal adult brain, it's almost like it's intentional, AKA lying. An election so calamitous that no result could be discerned at all. That's exactly, exactly what we have. Half the country is worried about the result of this election. Joe Biden has no support. Over a third of the country believes the election was stolen. And that's not just Trump supporters. So all of their goals that they describe in this piece about how great this organized effort was, all of their goals were failed. The exact opposite was achieved. And this is meant to be a good thing. Continuing with what they wanted to stop. Back to the article. A failure of the central act of democratic self-governance that has been a hallmark of America since its founding. Okay. I guess you stopped it. Their work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change voting systems and laws and helped secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. Yeah, that's what we say. That's a problem. That is extra legal. That is outside the bounds of the law. Outside organizations, this shadow campaign, cabal, as they call it in the article, got states to change laws. 
No, not exactly. Because the way that states change voting laws is by the state governments, the state legislatures changing the laws, not by outside groups coming in and changing the laws and about the funding. Oh, you help them secure millions in public and private funding. That too is what we're saying. That the private funding is what pushed the election in this direction. And again, please remember throughout this, this election by any definition was calamitous and did not have to be. They fended off voter suppression lawsuits. Nope, not voter suppression. Recruited armies of poll workers and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. Well, hallelujah. Again, they caused the fraud. They made the fraud possible and then caused the problems. And for anyone to say that it's a problem, that's what they wanted to avoid. That's what we're really getting at here. They successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against disinformation and use data-driven strategies to fight viral smears. <laughs> incredible. It's just incredible. They executed national public awareness campaigns that helped Americans understand how the vote count would unfold over days or weeks. Because, of course, they knew. They knew months and months ago that they would not be able to have a vote that night. An accurate count, a finished count, a winner. Right. Because they weren't worried about Trump not winning. They knew Joe Biden was gonna win, but they also knew that it would take weeks to figure that out for sure. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Preventing Trump's conspiracy theories and false claims of victory from get, getting more traction. After election day, they monitored every pressure point to ensure that Trump could not overturn the result. Yep. For Trump and his allies, we're, I don't know what this sentence is. She has the word for at the beginning of this for no reason. I'm deleting it and starting over. Trump and his allies were running their own campaign to spoil the election. The president spent months insisting that mail ballots were a democratic plot and the election would be rigged. Well, first off, mail ballots are a democratic plot, which is why the most lax versions of that system exist in Democrat states. And the election was rigged. So knowing that it would be rigged before was not difficult. And the thing here is that they consistently misunderstand how the president relays information to the public. A lot of the things the president says are things that came from the bottom up. It's not like, you know, this is one of the real problems with how the left views Trump supporters. They believe that we all listen to Donald Trump and then just brainlessly do whatever he says, when it's actually quite the opposite. 
we're all understanding these things ourselves, which is why we know Trump is honest. Because when we hear him say these things, we've already reached these conclusions and discovered them based on facts and evidence and logic and an open mind, a mind open enough to say, oh, hey, maybe everything is not exactly how the media says. Maybe the things they say are problems are actually distractions. And maybe the things they say are just fine are the real problems. That is possible. Even the communists should admit that that world exists. I mean, they certainly believe it about us. Of course, it makes no sense when they believe it about us because we aren't the ones exercising all the different arms of power. That's them. Cultural power, political power, media power, all of it, corporate power. Donald Trump and his supporters just simply do not have the relationship that they imagine we have. Just not true. Bottom up, not top down. None of us think Trump is some God whose commands we obey. I mean, we all like to joke about that because liberals believe it and we find it hilarious, but it's not actually true. Continuing, his henchmen at the state level sought to block their use while his lawyers brought dozens of spurious suits to make it more difficult to vote, an intensification of the GOP's legacy of suppressive tactics. All right, so these are some really, really strange and totally out of bounds narrative moves here. First of all, henchmen is ridiculous. But I wanna focus on the second half of the sentence where it's saying his lawyers brought dozens of spurious suits to make it more difficult to vote, an intensification of the GOP's legacy of suppressive tactics. Now, again, This is just one of those narratives that simply isn't true. You have to accept that voter ID is a suppression tactic to believe this. And it's not a suppression tactic. It's a verification tactic. The entire nation should have voter ID. There is no one who is incapable of getting an ID. And if there is someone I'm sure people would bend over backwards to help them get one. It is not a suppression tactic. And you have to believe it is because that's the only one that they ever mentioned. Besides the tactic of limiting ballot harvesting, limiting universal mail-in balloting, and everything else that the House just put on H.R. 1. I did an episode a couple of weeks ago and talked about this. Everything they are trying to do, everything that they say opens more access to voters, in fact, makes every election less secure in every single instance. So what the GOP has traditionally done is tried to stop efforts to make the elections less secure. And that has often failed. Why? Because of insecure elections, putting politicians in office who do not deserve by the will of the voter to be there. That's a big deal. 
Before the election, Trump plotted to block a legitimate vote count. No, he didn't. And he spent the months following November 3rd trying to steal the election he'd lost. Again, untrue. With lawsuits and conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories actually can't do anything legally. And they can't change votes. Also, not conspiracy theories. Just conspiracies. Which is actually the whole point of this article for fuck's sake. Getting all these disparate or seemingly disparate groups together to do the things that this article describes is in fact a conspiracy. Pressure state and local officials. And finally, summon his army of supporters to the January 6th rally that ended in deadly violence. Well, no. This acts like the January 6th thing was planned. For a long time, Trump said he wanted people to come to Washington, D.C. and have their voices heard. And he didn't say anything besides that. He didn't tell anyone to riot. Again, the assumption has to be that Trump supporters are violent and that by drawing them anywhere, you're encouraging violence. That's not true. Trump had multiple rallies after the election. There was no violence at them. He didn't put them in the middle of cities and tell them to go out and harass people. This is all fantasy. Continuing. The democracy campaigners watched with alarm. Democracy campaigners. Unreal. Trump's people trying to protect the vote are henchmen. Biden's people are democracy campaigners. Quote. Every week, we felt like we were in a struggle to try to pull off this election without the country going through a real dangerous moment of unraveling, says former GOP representative Zach Womp, a Trump supporter who helped coordinate a bipartisan election protection council. We can look back and say this thing went pretty well, but it was not at all clear in September and October that that was going to be the case. Well... There was never any indication there would be violence after November 3rd. That was a media concoction from the beginning. But he says this thing went pretty well. Well, again, if your only standard is whether or not Trump supporters were violent in the aftermath, then fine, it went pretty well. On every other measure, It did not go well. And this idea that in September and October, that was not going to be the case. That is part of the same narrative that they attempted at the debate when Trump was asked to tell the Proud Boys to stand down. But there was never any point where he told them to stand up or anyone else. It was always just this. They made the narrative that there would be violence. And then the same people who made the narrative assumed that it was true and tried to convince everyone else of it. And so if there was no violence, why wasn't there violence? Was it that Trump supporters were scared of commies in the streets? Well, that's definitely not it. And if they're not scared, 
and they still didn't riot, then they're clearly rational and nonviolent, right? But Q is said to be a psyop to pacify Trump supporters. So then are Trump supporters dumb enough to be violent about a rigged election or are they dumb enough to be pacified by a psyop that is simultaneously also racist and violent? Because this construction doesn't make sense. Either they are rational and nonviolent and know the election was rigged, or they're scared, or they were pacified by Q. And if they were pacified by Q, then the whole narrative about Q being this insane, racist, violent movement is nuts. But it's kind of worse than that because Trump supporters haven't been violent at any point except the riot at the Capitol on January 6th. But then again, that wasn't Trump supporters primarily. That was John Sullivan and Antifa. They set that up. They had messaging out there getting people to come. That was John Sullivan in his own social media, on his own videos. His own brother provided information against him. 226 commies went along with John Sullivan. So Trump supporters admittedly were not admitted by this article. I mean, obviously it's true in fact, but admittedly were not violent after the elections while knowing the election was rigged and they were the victims of a violent conspiracy psyop that somehow rendered them nonviolent. That's very smart, very smart. Back to the brilliance. That's why the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told, even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies, working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. And they believe the public needs to understand the system's fragility in order to ensure that democracy in America endures. So what this is saying is that had it not been for this well-funded cabal of powerful people, American democracy would have been destroyed due to the system's fragility. But these people saved us and they want us to know. This is simply narrative presetting, which I have talked about recently. It also does another thing that I have talked about recently. I gave the example a couple of weeks ago about the movie Looper and how it's about time travel. And there's a scene in a diner where Bruce Willis's character and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character are sitting in the diner and discussing the time travel And they basically don't understand it. And they admit it, which is a great writer's trick to basically take the steam out of the counterpoint. 
You know, if you say like, hey, that time travel element, that doesn't make any sense. As a viewer, you get taken out of the fiction. But if the characters agree that it doesn't make sense, you kind of just go with it. And that's what's happening here. This sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people, blah, blah, blah. It sounds like a paranoid fever dream. Well, how come it's called a paranoid fever dream when we describe it? But it's worse than that because they're admitting that it sounds that way. And the reason, of course, that it sounds that way is it is that way. But they are trying to recast all of this in a way that makes it not only not scary that this private cabal of powerful people, a well-funded private cabal of powerful people, who, by the way, work in the shadows. I mean, it says it in the headline. Their secret, as it says multiple times throughout this article, including in this very sentence. And because this article is aimed at supporters of Joe Biden, who truly believe that Joe Biden won, the writer and most readers just accept that all of this is actually good, while at the same time calling us conspiracy theorists for saying, uh, no, this is actually horrible. So they go on with these little sections below. They, they really break it down. And the first is called The Architect. It's about a guy named Mike Podhorzer who is an advisor, a senior advisor to the president of the AFL-CIO. And he brought liberals together to create a secretive firm. This is like 15 years ago. This is like his big claim to fame. He brought liberals together to create a secretive firm that applies scientific methods to political campaigns. A quote, most of our planning takes us through election day. But we are not prepared, this is before the election, obviously, but we are not prepared for the two most likely outcomes, Trump losing and refusing to concede, and Trump winning the electoral college despite losing the popular vote by corrupting the voting process in key states. Now, Trump won and refused to concede because of how disastrous this whole thing has been. Trump winning the Electoral College despite losing the popular vote is something that legitimately happened if we're to believe that the fraud only existed in the key states. But it didn't only exist in those key swing states. We desperately need to systematically red team this election so that we can anticipate and plan for the worst we know will be coming our way. No, you made that up. There was no worst that would be coming our way. If they hadn't used COVID to do the mail-in balloting, they would not have won the election, period. They wanted the mail-in balloting before COVID. COVID didn't affect the need for mail-in balloting, and Anthony Fauci himself said so. 
He said, if you can run your errands, if you can go to the store, then you can go to vote in person without a problem. In fact, on election day, the CDC came out and said that it was okay for people to go vote in person, even if they were currently infected with the coronavirus. So the worst that they were planning for, those two outcomes, Trump losing and refusing to concede, And Trump winning despite losing the popular vote by corrupting the voting process. But those were not the two most likely outcomes. The most likely outcome was Trump winning and Biden refusing to concede. Hillary Clinton herself described that. And Jennifer Palmieri like threw her arms up and cheered. So that's them on that outcome, exactly backwards of what this man seems to believe. And the second one was that Trump would win despite losing the popular vote by corrupting the election process. Again, not a thing that happened, not a thing that was ever in danger of happening. The Democrats controlled the election process in all of the states that mattered. And Mark Zuckerberg, controlled the election process in all of the states that mattered. His money went in for specific goals and it had a clawback provision. I've talked about this before, probably in the middle of December after Phil Klein's uh, amazing press conference where he laid all this out. But the clawback provision made it so that these areas that used Zuckerberg money had to achieve the results that he wanted or Zuckerberg's foundation would be able to take back the money that these areas had already spent, which is not a situation that would be very good for any of these election officials. And so, of course, they get the results that Zuckerberg wants. Now we come to the alliance. They talk about all of the very terrible, bad things that Trump was going to do if they tried to say that he didn't win, which of course he did. But the end of this, most of it's boring. But the last paragraph, Molly Ball writes... Protecting the election would require an effort of unprecedented scale. As 2020 progressed, it stretched to Congress, Silicon Valley, and the nation's state houses. It drew energy from the summer's racial justice protests, many of whose leaders were a key part of the liberal alliance. And eventually it reached across the aisle into the world of Trump skeptical Republicans appalled by his attacks on democracy. Again, all of these are assumptions, and incredible ones at that. Protecting the election would require an effort of unprecedented scale. Again, there was no threat to the election except the one they concocted. And it drew energy from the summer's racial justice protests. The the idea that liberals can keep describing What happened last summer as racial justice protests that should be inspiring to everyone 
It's hard to comprehend. Four straight months of rioting in Portland. The rioters in Seattle took over a police station and six city blocks and then named it Chaz. Were there rapes and murders in Chaz? Yes, there were. Did the mayor of Seattle call it a summer of love? Also, yes. Billions of dollars of damage from these racial justice protests. People killed, people beaten, businesses burned down and destroyed, people harassed in their homes for no reason. And this is inspiring. This is all a good thing. This is where you draw the momentum for protecting the election. The next section is called securing the vote. In March, activists appealed to Congress to steer COVID relief money to election administration. Led by the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, more than 150 organizations signed a letter to every member of Congress seeking $2 billion in election funding. It was somewhat successful. The CARES Act passed later that month contained $400 million in grants to state election administrators. But the next tranche of relief funding didn't add to that number. It wasn't going to be enough. Now that is just flatly untrue. Many places that took Zuckerberg's private money did not use the government money from the CARES Act. This massive shortfall is a fiction. Continuing, Amber McReynolds detailed the importance of absentee ballots for shortening lines at polling places and preventing an election crisis. Except this was never going to happen. There was no chance of that happening. There were no outbreaks stemming from election day. If there was one, I sure haven't heard of it. And I doubt that anybody who pays any attention to political news has heard about it. Because that's the sort of thing that they would have gone crazy over to make it so that they could always get everybody to mail in vote. Voting's just not safe. Voting in person is just not safe. It's just not safe to be around that many people. It's just not safe because most of the people working at Polling places are very old, except for the fact that they're not in any place where the majority of the vote happens. I don't see old people at the polling places in California. I don't see old people on the videos from Detroit or Atlanta or Philadelphia. The polls were never dangerous and never going to be dangerous. The effort had to overcome heightened skepticism in some communities. Many black voters preferred to exercise their franchise in person or didn't trust the mail. National civil rights groups worked with local organizations to get the word out that this was the best way to ensure one's vote was counted. In Philadelphia, for example, advocates distributed quote, voting safety kits containing masks, hand sanitizer, and informational brochures. 
We had to get the message out that this is safe, reliable, and you can trust it, says Hannah Freed. Well, this sounds like Democrats actually ignoring the needs of their their base, which is black voters. They tell us that all the time. And then providing nonsense in response. Sending them a mask and hand sanitizer does not make their concerns go away. They didn't say that black voters were scared of COVID. It said they preferred to exercise their franchise in person as they should. And if it's more likely that mail-in voting is a better way to ensure your vote is counted, then what the hell are they doing with the in-person votes? Mail-in voting historically is the most open to fraud. That's an objective fact. That's not my opinion. The Jimmy Carter study with, I think, James Baker came to that exact conclusion. So getting the word out that this is the best way to ensure one's vote is counted should be read as Democrats lying to their base. It says that they prefer to exercise their vote in person and that they don't trust the mail. There is nothing about masks and hand sanitizers that changes or even addresses that. And informational brochures. Oh yes, that's going to change minds. Informational brochures that certainly say there's no evidence of voter fraud before the election, of course. Or informational brochures that say, yes, the mail is totally safe. Look at all we're doing to make sure your vote gets counted. Here's some drop boxes from Mark Zuckerberg. In the end, nearly half the electorate cast ballots by mail in 2020, practically a revolution in how people vote. About a quarter voted early in person. Only a quarter of votes cast their ballots the traditional way, in person on election day. Well, yeah, that's way too many mail-in ballots. And I was researching some of this stuff today. And on November 10th, USA Today reported in a fact check that nearly 150 million people cast ballots. That's on November 10th. Now the count is 158.5 million, roughly. So we went up about 9 million votes After November 10th, votes just kept appearing after November 10th. The amount of people who voted kept increasing after November 10th. Well, either USA Today's fact check is wrong and has sat there now for three months being wrong. Or something really messed up happened. And I think that we all know that it did. Now, I don't want to make this podcast two hours long, and I still have a bunch to cover in this article because it's really just mind-blowing. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a special Super Bowl Sunday edition of High Noon for Friday, February 5th, on Sunday, February 7th. And I hope you like it. If you don't, you can tell me. But by that time, it'll have already happened, and I can't change it. So you'll really just be mad at me for no reason. And I'll be able to do nothing about it. But I will return at some reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be present. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm your moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!